Dearest Bianca, here is a story about finding the presence of God. Brooke and I were on the atoll of Palmyra, a speck in the Pacific Ocean between Japan and Hawaii. We went on a small boat to the deep blue beyond the coral reefs that circled Palmyra. Brooke and the others went scuba diving to video schools of tuna. I opted to stay on the surface of the ocean and snorkel. I became so enthralled by the columns of silver tuna circling before me, I lost all track of time and space. But then, in a flash, the tuna vanished. Suddenly, every hair on my body rose even underwater. I stopped swimming and began treading water, looking out over the surface of the sea. And there it was, a fin. I put my mask in the water. It was indeed a shark, a large shark. Straight ahead was the boat, about the same distance as the shark now swimming perpendicular to me. I started doing a breaststroke toward the boat, knowing I had to remain calm as sharks register fear. The boat was about the same distance ahead of me as the shark was now swimming toward me. I surmised I would reach the stairs on the side of the boat about the same time the shark would reach the side of me. Just when I thought my heart would stop from terror, the shark chuck The shark... Really, I honestly cannot say this. I, I'm so nervous even retelling this. Just when I thought my heart would stop beating from terror, the shark, close enough, I could see its terrifying teeth visible from the corner of my eye. Suddenly, out of the blue, literally rising from the depths of the ocean like a torpedo, was a dolphin who put his body, her body, between the shark and me and quickly swimming parallel to my body ushered me to the boat and stayed in the water until I was inside. And then I turned around. The dolphin vanished. The shark was gone. God lives in the miraculous. From the Believer magazine, you're listening to Constellation Prize. Nightwalking, part three. Day 10. After our perfect afternoon together in the grass, Gideon was still feeling sick and fell asleep for 16 hours. The next morning, while I was waiting for him to get up, I wandered aimlessly around his house, feeling very unsure of when I should leave. I was very aware of myself. He finally woke up in a bit of a bad mood and he seemed withdrawn. That night we took a walk, but it wasn't quite the same. So for years I've been trying to get on the British radio and they always reject me because they say I'm like, I don't know, too American in my sensibilities, but anyway, maybe this Terry thing could finally be my breakthrough on BBC Four. Basically, I wanted a lot of affection, and he wanted space. 
You can't just like rest. Yes, I can. I'm yes. I'm very restful. <laughs> we walked over to a stream, stopped under a canopy of trees, and watched the moon, 83% full, a waxing gibbous, illuminating the clouds. Go and make out a little. No. You didn't say no. This is why you have trouble when you don't kiss anyone for long periods of time in a global pandemic. (laughs) Have you tried kissing yourself? How do you do that? Like on your like your body. Not much. Too sad. You do it? I do sometimes. It'll be great to come out of this weekend hating each other and just knowing at least we gave it a go, you know? <laughs> I have extreme ex- affection and extreme <laughs> annoyance. Whereas you have just like a general ambivalence. No, I wouldn't say general ambivalence. Do you want to go back? Or do you want to sit? I want to go back. After that, I got back in my Toyota Corolla and drove home. I returned to reality, a physical body again, with edges and sadness. Bianca, I'm so excited. Just as I finished our letter, I was getting up to walk away, and I noticed an ant carrying a red blossom. I thought it was a rose petal, but now as I'm talking to you, I'm seeing that it is one of the magenta blossoms from the coyote willow. They're carrying these flowers to their anthill at enormous energetic expense. Here's one blossom. At this point in the project, it felt like Terry had reached a new level of rapture. This is another perfect moment. I followed the ants five yards, ten yards from our house, and you won't believe this. I just can't believe it. They are just taking in a white little blossom into their house, into their what would you call it, colony. And now there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten worker ants making sure that this white flower can go into this very tiny hole. Oh my God, I just love it. Bye. It seemed like the project was invigorating Terry. She was on a night-walking rocket ship, gaining energy with each letter. Meanwhile, my texts with Gideon were thinning. And on top of that... Okay, it's morning. We're at a cafe. Matt's about to leave. After five months of quarantine, he's chugging a nitro brew. Matt was also leaving on his own journey. A six-month road trip around the country. Is there anything you'd like to say to Terry? Um, Terry, thank you. I was telling Bianca that uh, I never really realized what it feels like to be 
out away from a city walking around in the darkness of night and how just kind of beautiful it is and how it feels like it's opening you up to a whole nother world and uh powerful so, was the word you just used. powerful yeah powerful uh the night walk is powerful uh <clears throat> yeah okay okay bye terry Day 11. The moon is 90% full. It's rising at 6.03 p.m. and setting at 3.07 a.m. Dear Terry, tonight as I walked, the wind rushed around me. The clouds shrouded me in darkness again, and the trees returned to silhouettes. So much is happening outside right now. With Matt gone, I set out on the night walks alone. It wasn't as fun but I was surprised to find that I could do it. I knew the patterns of the walk by now, like the darkest part of the road where the moonlight was blocked by a tunnel of trees. A couple minutes later, the outline of a pink house would appear, and then it would start to smell like cow manure. In the distance from there, I could often see white blots of sheep with the moonlight reflecting off their coats. In the following days, I kept walking, and I kept writing letters. P.S. The firefly larvae are most certainly gone. They have hibernated. We have sheep living behind our house now, about 100 of them. Imagine sleeping every night, pressed tightly against your friends. I'm going to miss my body in the summer. My skin feels different. My hair has the permanent smell of river water. I dutifully took notice of everything, wrote it down, and shared it. A gap in the trees where the moon shone through looked like its own continent of the light emanating from the houses. And as the days passed, I felt disappointed that nothing particularly spiritual was happening. And then... Dear Terry, today is a failed letter. I completely lost faith in the night walks. I feel like I have no interesting nuggets to share, no big picture thoughts. I worked until midnight tonight and am now starting this letter. Anxiety swirled. I'm not sure if I needed to be working or if I was procrastinating because I didn't know what to write. For hours I sat in front of the page, feeling like there was absolutely nothing to say. Okay, now it's 1 a.m. and I've been laying here in a writing paralysis. I have letter writer's writer's block. I guess I'll have to deal with it in real time in this letter. It just occurred to me that perhaps all my previous letters were a performance, and this is my true self, someone with nothing to write about. I felt like a complete fraud. My counsel, again, debated. Is this project coming across as self-indulgent? Maybe someone hot will hear it and ask her out. She can't just put on a costume of Terry's life. At 2 a.m., I finally gave up on writing something good. Maybe I'll describe something to you, and you'll be a hostage of my boring descriptions. I'm not going to worry about it being particularly interesting or worth your time. Maybe I should describe my toenail. I didn't describe my toenail, but I didn't do much better. I could describe my bedroom. The room I am in has a turquoise theme. The drapes around the window are deeply faded. They're a light blue. There's some kind of blue flower on them. I can't figure out what it is. It looks like a tulip of sorts. The comforter is silk with three different colors. 
The morning after my crisis, I was afraid to hear Terry's letter. I was embarrassed. I opened up her email, feeling fatigued and a little bit nauseous. Dearest Bianca, there is no such thing as a failed letter, only the gift of the letter you sent. I, too, love turquoise, and I loved hearing the description of the room you were in. There are those days. You have seen my despair when our valley was choked with smoke. It's these kinds of emotional waves that make this correspondence real. Repetition is spiritual. Our walks are repetitious. Our walks are spiritual. Our walks are real. The mountains are real. The desert is real. Our letters are migrating birds. I do not believe they are performative, but rather imperfect artifacts, honest queries and expressions born of the moment. And they're a risk. I realize I write the way I walk, only instead of one foot in front of the other, it's one word after the other. And suddenly, I find myself in new territory. I am just back from my night walk. Tonight I went alone. Crickets, cicadas, the pulse of the desert is strong. Very few stars. It's a night of disorientation. There is a textured quality now to the sky, clouds being woven into darkness. A few minutes later, they appear skeletal. I see a rib cage holding stars. What if our body is in fact its own galaxy? I feel dizzy. Will I find my way home tonight? I cannot see the Big Dipper. The North Star is not visible. That's sort of how it feels these days. The maps we have counted on to show us where we are and where we are headed feel incomplete now, imperfect. The world feels flat again. Tonight, I could walk off the edge of the desert and be in a free fall. So you're in a free fall. What does it matter? if there is no ground. Love, Terry. After this letter, I no longer thought I was going to find the divine or even feel one-twentieth of Terry's excitement with an aunt. But she did give me the faith to keep going. So, how do you introduce yourself? I don't know. I no longer know how to talk about what I do. So, if I'm pressed, I tell people that I talk like a bird and to the birds. And how do people react to that? For some extra support, I reached out to my friend, Enrique Enriquez, an artist who's obsessed with the line between the imagined and the real. He helped convince me that the act of walking every night of the moon had value all on its own. As long as it's useless, put your faith there. The moment you think you're doing it because it's going to get you, I don't know what, then we're doomed. When Enrique goes out and talks to birds, he turns a character into a real person. And he felt we were doing the same on our walks. You are an imaginary character. I mean, that person who walks every, every night just to see the way the light 
reveals more and more of the landscape. That is poetry. I don't know if you have to write a poem about it, but that is poetry. That which is accomplished cannot be measured. There are alternatives beyond what we are told we should want. That's my whole point. Dear Terry, I love night walking because the landscape literally changes every night in the new light. I don't want to, I don't know if I want to say literally. I love night walking because the landscape changes. Getting close to the full moon felt like an accomplishment. With each passing night, I could see further and further. The fields were gorgeous last night. I could see everything perfectly. The pastures washed in the blue light of the moon. I thought that the full moon... It was exciting, even moving, to finally see the full landscape revealed. The sky was mostly clear, just a spread of wispy clouds under the almost full moon. The last few letters passed quickly. Onward, Bianca. I'll talk to you soon. With love, yours. Much love. Bianca. Bianca. Finally, the night of my last walk arrived. It was raining a little bit. I was tired, in my pajamas, and the walk felt dreamlike. Above, the moon was finally full. I walked through an apple orchard, stepping over the shadows of twisted branches, and the night was very still. I took extra care to enjoy it. I walked slowly, enjoying the smell of the air as it turned to fall. And in my letter, I was more reflective than usual. Dear Terry, it's very hard to record this knowing it's going to be the last one. Um, I'm sitting outside on the back porch, listening to the sounds of the night. It's very cloudy here tonight, and it's pretty warm and mild. Um, there's just the utter blackness of the line of trees in the field. And the lambs are out there somewhere, but I can't see them. <sighs> anyway, okay. At this point, I turned off the recorder and just sat there for a while almost not wanting the project to really end. Finally, I reluctantly turned it back on and read what I had written. Your last two letters have inspired me. They've filled me with questions. They've made me consider what it means to be an artist. An artist can create something from nothing, but the artist also knows when to record the rainstorm versus when to just sit in it. These letters have felt like a trust fall into your warm and brutally earnest tone. They've felt like following your feet on a long hike through the canyons of Utah. At times, the night walks felt like a burden, other times, a gift. The two weeks between the new moon and the full moon have been like a different experience of time. Sometimes it felt like it was going to last forever, and now it feels fleeting. I feel grief that these letters are ending. There are so many questions I didn't have time to ask. 
Last night as I was starting to pack up, I found a card from my ex-boyfriend that said, thank you for everything. Tonight, grieving the end of the letters, it feels like a mantra. Thank you for everything. Love, Bianca. Terry told me that for her final walk, she had a plan for the moment the moon became full. Our neighbor is a tea master, and she's also bringing over some fermented poor tea, a way of opening the mind and grounding the mind at once. This is all started from a conversation we were having on our porch the other night about the need to go deeper, especially now. She reminded me of the medicine one can glean simply by watching a sacred datura or moonflower bloom. The datura, also known as the moonflower, looks like a white trumpet. It's most famous for opening under the full moon, at night only, and closing by morning. It's also poisonous, and some people say it has psychedelic, even mystical qualities. So tonight... Before we do our night walk, we're going to position our chairs in front of the datura, under the moon, and watch each large white blossom unfurl at dusk, placing our noses in close proximity in its arc of fragrance. The next morning, I was making coffee in my kitchen, and I opened up Terry's final letter, recorded soon after she sat with the datura. Dearest Bianca, there are those moments when you can't articulate what happened. And that's how I feel about tonight. It was just this quiet unfolding of power, the power of a moonflower, sacred detura as the moon rose. We watched it unfurl from probably 8.30 to 9.30. The moon rose above the LaSalle Mountains that rise 12,000 feet. It was a portal. It was a portal I wanted to walk through. There was a maroon halo around it that I've never seen before. And it just started radiating outward, wider and wider and wider until I felt like I was enveloped in it. And suddenly this one single moonbeam reached all the way to the tendrils of the detour of the moonflower and it opened. Every time the moonflower opened wider, it started quivering, trembling, shaking, as if it was releasing another restriction, constriction. 
We could begin to smell it. When it was halfway opened, it was sweet, reminiscent of my great-grandmother's perfume. I remember the name, Lily of the Valley. But when that moonbeam touched the tendrils and it widened, suddenly the smell became tropical, less sweet, like coconut, like vanilla. And that smell, that aura, that arc of fragrance seized my nostrils and I could smell it all the way to my brain. And I started shaking. I started trembling. And it was like I had been seized. And would you believe me if I told you that I started singing? I do not sing Bianca. And something, I don't know what happened. I just started singing these wordless songs. Up the scales, down the scales. A melody I didn't know. And my voice was vibrating, quivering, like the moonflower was quivering. And my throat started unfurling, unwinding, opening, like the flower before me. And I was scared. I've never felt that open. I'm shaking now. The sacred datura opened at 9.30 p.m. And it was intoxicating. We know nothing about power. The power of one unfurling datura. The dogs are barking. The coyotes will be next. The howls will come. And I will join them. I love you, Bianca. Love, Terry.
P.S. Isha is sitting with me inside. Her little paw is on my cheek. And Bianca, I know I sounded like a crazy person, that I had gone insane, half mad, but it happened. And I cried out like a coyote for the coyotes, and they answered back. That's where I find God. Good night. And that was it. The project was over. There were no more letters. I shuffled around the kitchen for a while, making more coffee, and then I returned to packing. It was early September and Labor Day weekend was coming. It was time to leave the house in Vermont and head back to New York. This episode of Nightwalking is supported by Pioneer Works, an artist and scientist-led nonprofit in Red Hook, Brooklyn. Pioneer Works aims to build community through the arts and sciences by offering interdisciplinary programming, residencies, education initiatives, and an online and print publication called Broadcast. Experience Pioneer Works on the second Sunday of every month for live music, food, and workshops in Red Hook. To learn more, visit pioneerworks.org.